I want to begin my message this morning with a really surprising statement. So if you are a note taker, you need to get ready right here at the beginning. You're going to write this down and remember this point that I'm about to make. You're not going to expect me to say this, but listen up. Here it is. Are you ready? God is not interested in changing your life. That's right, you heard me correctly. God is not interested in changing your life. Now, let me take a minute to try to explain what I mean here. And I'm going to do that using the magic of visual aids, all right? Are you ready? So let me begin with this statement. This is not an avocado. I know your eyes deceive you, but I want you to know this, despite what it looks like, is not an avocado. And also, this is not a cow. Just so you know, I know what it looks like, but this is not a cow. Let me give you a couple more examples. This one is not a bumblebee. It's important that you realize this. No matter what it looks like, this is not a bumblebee. And then, and then finally, I would say this. This is not my son Garrett. Right? I know what it looks like, but I just want to help you to understand. These things are actually babies in costumes. Can you believe that? I know what they look like, but they're not what they look like, right? I know some of you are thinking, can we go ahead and turn this off right, now, right about now? No, hang in there with me. Hang in there. I actually have a point to this silliness. Here's what I want you to understand. What's happened with those babies is actually what we call change. So some adult decided to dress them up, right? And the day after Halloween, you take those costumes off and those babies go back to looking like everyday babies. And it doesn't matter that just the day before they were cows and bumblebees and avocados. That's not the point. The point is that change can take place rather easily and sometimes we get fooled by change. And that's what I mean when I say God is not interested in just changing your life. What God has in mind is something much greater. See, churches are filled with people just like this. People who sort of um, experience some level of religion, right? They, they put on the costume of religion, if you will, and they start to change. They look a little different. People go, hmm, what's going on? But that kind of change is not what God is interested in. You see, God is interested not in some kind of outward, temporary, minor change, God is interested in something much deeper than that. I want to give you one more uh, example of this. And this one, I, I pulled up the internet. It's a video I want you to watch. It's a video of what is called the mimic octopus. And this thing is going to blow your mind if you've never seen a mimic octopus. Watch this. This is the mimic octopus. A master of disguise. In its natural state, the Mimic Octopus is a light beige colour and like most octopi, can change its skin pigment to blend in with its surroundings. But the Mimic Octopus takes things to another level altogether. 
Found in Indonesia and in the Great Barrier Reef, it's an octopus that is so intelligent that when it feels threatened, it can fool possible predators into thinking that it is in fact another, more deadly species. It does this by changing its colour, shape, and perhaps most interestingly, the way it moves and behaves. It's reputed to be able to impersonate 15 other kinds of sea creature, the most notable being the poisonous flatfish, deadly sea snakes, and the highly venomous lionfish. It's thought that even though these impersonations aren't flawless, they can give the crafty octopus enough time to escape before the predator realises it's been duped. The mimic octopus was discovered relatively recently in 1998, possibly because up until then it had done such a good job of disguising itself. How cool is that? Now, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that or heard about the mimic octopus before, but you know what? Let me just to take a quick aside. Let, how in the world can you make an argument that that thing came about by random chance? How is that not evidence for intelligent design? That's an unbelievable creature that God created with the design that it couldn't stay alive if it wasn't for God's design. It's an amazing picture, but isn't it cool how that thing can just so quickly change? It changes from one look to another, to another, to another. Everything about it seems to change, but on the inside, it doesn't change a bit. It's just change. It's just temporary. It's just outward. It's not transformation. My friends, the mimic octopus should not be the mascot of the Christian church. Our mascot should be the butterfly. That's the difference between change and transformation. Think about a butterfly and how the transformation process works. It starts out as a little larva. And if you remember a fifth grade science or second grade or whenever you learned this, I forgot. But it becomes a caterpillar. It goes into this uh, chrysalis. And then ultimately it comes out. And you would swear that this has no relation whatsoever to this. Because it's undergone transformation or what we call metamorphosis. It has been changed from one, one essence to another. That's the picture of Christianity. And I'm afraid that as Christians we have settled for change when what God has in mind all along is transformation. When I was a kid... I really wanted to be a stuntman when I grew up. I heard about stuntmen and what they get to do. and They get to fall off of buildings and be in car crashes and do all these things and they walk away unscathed. And I went, that looks so cool. I want to be a stuntman when I grow up. What did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, think back to when you were a little kid. What did you want to be when you grew up? I want you to really think about this. If there's somebody there in your house with you, share with them. Tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up. When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? My guess is that most of you, if not all of you, came up with some sort of a vocation, right? I want to be a policeman. I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a baseball player. I want to be the president of the United States. Whatever it is that you want to be, it's probably a vocational thing that popped into your head. But I wonder how many of you would say, 
You wanted to be like Jesus when you grow up. You see, that's the biblical model of the vision that God has for our life. And that's what today's message is all about. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and open to the book of Romans. And we're going to be bouncing around a little bit in the Word today, but I want you to start out with me in Romans chapter 8. Uh, and this is a very familiar passage, and this is something that if you have been a part of Grace Fellowship for any length of time, you've heard me talk about before. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and that sort of got me thinking on this trajectory. Here's what I want to read to you, verses 28 and 29 of Romans chapter 8. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I know I said 28 and 29 and took you all the way through 30. But I want you to see this concept as it unfolds in those three verses. Those three verses should shape the way we think about life as Christians. You see, some of us have made the mistake of thinking that Christianity is basically about cleaning up your act and getting rid of some sinful habits in your life and starting to behave better. It's like, it's like you have this junky old beat up car, right? And you take it into the paint shop and you put a $3,000 paint job on this junky old beat up car. Do you know what you have when it comes out of the shop? You have a junky old beat up car with a $3,000 paint job. That's it. It doesn't change what's actually under the hood. It doesn't change what's actually behind the doors. It doesn't change any of that. It just makes it look a little shinier. And some of us as Christians have settled for this approach to our Christian life. We have settled for this idea that somehow we're just going to sort of polish things up a little bit. We're going to make it look a little bit better. We're going to stop sort of being so outwardly messed up. But what God has in mind for your life is not that. What God has in mind for your life is much more than change. God is in the business of transformation. Remember, the babies in the pictures, they changed. It was just an outward costume. But the butterfly was transformed. That's what God has in mind for us. God is interested in remaking you, not in um, just cleaning you up. He's interested in conforming you to the image of Christ. Go back and look at verse 29 again with me. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine us to? To become conformed to the image of his Son. You see, what God had in mind when he reached out to you with the gospel was that he could mold you and shape you and change you from the inside out in a way that goes way beyond outward change and comes to inward transformation so that you would be conformed to the image of Christ from the inside out. But far too many of us have settled 
for the fact that that's just not really happening in our lives. I, I, read, a, I read some research recently that made me shake my head. Um, according to this huge Pew Research Project, 65% of American adults claim to be Christians. 65%, two-thirds of American adults claim to be Christians. And when you change the, the phrasing of the question and ask how many of them claim to be born again, then that number is uh, 46%. So 46% of Americans claim that they have been born again. They describe themselves that way. That's roughly half of us, right? <laughs> Think about that. Jesus called us the light of the world. Jesus called us the salt of the earth. Now, you don't have to be an executive chef at a five-star restaurant to know this. A little salt goes a long way, doesn't it? Just a little bit of salt goes a long way. But just imagine, if you would, that you had a half a pound of beef and you wanted to season it, so you poured onto it a half a pound of salt. If it was 50% beef and 50% salt, do you think you'd notice the salt? <laughs> do you think the salt would make much difference? I think it would. So why is it that 46% of the population is born again and we're not transforming this culture. Why is it that we who are the light of the world keep talking about the darkness in the world? Why is it that we who are the salt of the earth are not making a more noticeable difference in our culture and in the lives of the people that we're around? It's a fair question. And I don't think that we should dodge questions like this. I don't think that we should hide behind this, um, this piety that we so often hide behind as Christians and say, well, they just don't understand us out there. Because the truth of the matter is that so many of the people in our culture, when you ask them what do they think of Christians, the word that comes to mind is hypocrite. Somehow, people recognize that when half of us claim that Jesus has given us brand new life and we're a brand new transformed person, somehow, it must not be true. Too many of us are willing to settle for a little bit of change when what God has in mind is absolute inside-out transformation. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of John. If you're in Romans, just go back a couple of books. Past Acts, you come to John. And I want you to go to John chapter 3, one of the most well-known chapters in Scripture. We're going to be in these two very well-known chapters. John chapter 3, Romans chapter 8. And, and I want you to just leave, uh, leave a marker or your finger in uh, Romans 8 and move with me to John chapter 3. And as you're going to John chapter 3, here's what you're going to find. This guy Nicodemus, who was a leader among the religious guys of his day, comes to Jesus under cover of darkness because he doesn't want anybody to know. Because he's so drawn to Jesus, he recognizes something about him that's different than all the other rabbis he's ever known. There's something about this Jesus guy that draws Nicodemus to him. And so Nicodemus comes to him, and we're in chapter 3, verse 1 of the Gospel of John. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? <laughs> this is a famous uh, dialogue, right, between Jesus and Nicodemus. You've probably read this passage before or at least heard it talked about. Now, this guy Nicodemus is a priest. He's a religious leader. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's one of the top-ranking Pharisees. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, Listen, we've already seen some of these signs that you've been doing. We heard about the wedding in Cana. We've seen about the other things that you've been doing. And we know that nobody does signs like this unless they come from God. So we know that you're from God, but we're confused. And that's all he says. And then have you noticed that sometimes you go to Jesus with one question and he doesn't answer your question? Instead, he tells you what you need to hear. And he knew what Nicodemus needed to hear. And so uh, Jesus answered and says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, change was Nicodemus' only frame of reference. All he knew was man-made religion. All he knew was people who, who managed their outward appearance Nicodemus dressed like a religious guy. Nicodemus talked like a religious guy. Nicodemus followed the rules that religious guys follow. And that was his only experience was change. But he had yet to experience the transformation that comes with new birth in Christ. You guys, this goes right to the heart of the definition of salvation. Go back with me to Romans 8 now. Again, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up in 28, and we're going to read again through verse 30. Here's what it says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, and then 29 and 30 define the good. For those whom he foreknew, we also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What is the good that God is causing everything to work together toward? It's that we be made into the image of his son. And for God, that's a once done act. For us, it unfolds over time, right? Salvation, this process unfolds over time. Look what it talks about. It says, whom he foreknew before the beginning of time, he predestined before the beginning of time to come, become conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Now that gets into your lifetime. 
Now you're born, you come into the, uh, into the process of the timeline, and you're called. God gives you the faith to believe. And those whom he called, he justified. That's the date of your salvation. That's the moment when you cross from death into life. So those whom he, pre, um, whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And then the mind-blowing part is what it says after that. And these whom he justified... He glorified. And that's in the past tense. And we've talked about this many times, but this is the mental model we have to get straight if we're to understand what it is to be a Christian. You see, God has already done the whole work of your salvation. From foreknowledge and predestination all the way through to glorification, it is a work that is done by God. But for us, it's unfolding over time. It's this transformation that God does that cannot be stopped because he's God. But then it carries through to our lifetimes with calling and justification and it will carry through all the way to glorification. That's when you're with the Lord in heaven. All of that is past tense. That's all God's doing. It's already been done for everyone who is in Christ. So here's what I'm saying. There is no genuine salvation without transformation. So get out of your mind this idea that I'm just going to change my behavior. I'm just going to dress differently. I'm just going to talk differently. I'm just going to do things a little bit different. Our time on earth is all about being conformed to the image of his son. But we've set the bar too low on this one. We, we, our expectations are way too low. It's not that we don't expect Christians to change. We do. The expectation is that if you've not been a Christian and you come to know Christ, we expect you to change. We expect you to clean up your language. We expect you to start watching different television shows. We expect you to maybe dress differently. Maybe you're going to change the music that you listen to. Maybe uh, you're going to drink less or smoke less or smoke something different or whatever. That's maybe what we expect. You know what that's called? Change. It was the same in Jesus' day. Religious people were expected to change the way they dress, the way they talk, the rules they follow. The Pharisees were great at this, right? And what did Jesus say about them? He called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. See, Jesus didn't go to the cross so you and I could dress differently and talk differently. He went to the cross to take us from death to life. And it starts with the heart. After all, inward transformation always leads to outward change. But outward change will never lead to inward transformation. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her, where? In his heart. He said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, but I say to you that anyone who has hatred in his heart toward his brother has already committed murder in his heart. 
Jesus was trying to get something through to us. You need a heart transformation. It has to happen on the inside. It's about the heart. That's why David prayed the way he did. You know David, right? He, he committed these terrible sins. As you know, David, this man who was called by God, he got off track and lust in his heart led to adultery and anger and hatred in his heart led to murder. He, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then her husband put to death. And the Lord convicted him. I'll let you read about it on your own. But I want you to notice that when the Lord convicted him of his sin, he sat down and wrote a psalm. It's known to us today as Psalm 51. And I want you to see what he says in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, he doesn't come to God and say, hey, I messed up, can you clean up the mess? He doesn't come to God and say, help me follow the rules a little bit better. He comes to God and says, my God, what I've done is expose the wickedness of my own heart. I need a transformation. I need a transformed heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And that's what happens when you come to know Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, very famous passage. Let me read it to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's not been remodeled. He's not been uh, polished and buffed. He's been made new. He's been born again, as Jesus tried to explain to Nicodemus. Now I know you probably heard this before, right? But still, we tend to lean toward a brand of Christianity that is outward and superficial. Let's just say there's this preacher, right? He's gifted. This guy can really preach. He's got a ton of personality. Everybody loves him. He's an amazing leader and all that kind of stuff. Like this guy is just killing it. He's a great pastor. But what you don't know is that he's got a major, major issue with jealousy in his heart. And he's got a major, major issue with lust. But you don't see it. All you see is what you see up front. Now take that same guy. He's a great gifted pastor. He's got all of the gifts. He does everything really well. People are flocking to him. And after the service, or imagine a service where people actually gather to worship, right? And after the service, he goes out to the front doors to greet people on their way out. And as he's greeting people, he pops open a beer and lights up a cigarette. Which one of those guys is going to get fired? I'd say it's the second one. Because we determine that it's the superficial things that show us real Christianity. And God says, no, it's about the heart. And guys, we've been watching this happen over and over lately. We're more and more Christians whose hearts are not really transformed. They name the name of Christ, but they are not walking with him. Have now fallen flat on their face. And broken the hearts of people and of God. Listen, I'm not saying our outward behavior is unimportant. I'm just saying that if we're willing to settle for change instead of transformation, we've set the bar way too low. A butterfly looks different 
because it has been transformed. A butterfly flies instead of crawling because it has been transformed. It's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I think it's time for each of us to take a good long look at our own heart. Now, watch yourself because you're going to want to take a look at your neighbor's heart. Forget about your neighbor for a second and take a good long look at your own heart. And ask yourself some really tough questions. Let me suggest a few. Am I more concerned with what people think about me than I am with what God knows about me? Now that's a good question. Am I more concerned with what people think about me than I am with what God knows about me? Or try this one. Am I measuring my spiritual progress in superficial ways? Or do I see myself being transformed from the inside out? How about this? Am I getting weary from carrying the weight of religious practices? Or am I experiencing the joy of freedom in Christ? Jesus made it clear. It's not about religion. It's about new life in him. Are you experiencing that new life? You can. It's not about greater effort. It's not about greater commitment. It's about what we sang about earlier. I surrender. It's about unconditional surrender to God. And when you do that, he transforms you from the inside out. And so let me close with this statement from the book of Psalms. Cease striving and know that I am God. Today we learned that we were made to be butterflies. Next week, I hope you'll join us because that's when we learn how to fly. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that your transforming touch is enough. And God, we ask you to help us to actually live in that surrender that we talk about, think about, and wish we were doing. Help us, Father, to actually lift our hands and say, it's about you, it's not about me. And Father, change us, transform us, make us new from the inside out that the world may know that you are God and they may glorify our Father who's in heaven. Teach us to fly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.